Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to the I Love You So Much podcast. I am your host, Kenzie Elizabeth. I am sitting in the cutest home office there ever has been, aka mine. Um, I say that because I have spent so much time on it, so I feel like I have the right to, okay? Um, I have been taking you guys along so many of my home projects during COVID-19 it has really just kind of taken over my life and it has actually, it's been time well spent during quarantine. So my most recent addition has made me feel like quite the adult. I have a TV mounted in my office to watch the news, but the joke is that it's actually the morning toast, which is a morning show, but it's not like I'm watching like, you know, the actual news. So anyways, I feel like quite the adult. I woke up this morning. I had my great productive morning routine, which I have been slacking on in quarantine. I have not been waking up super early or doing any of those things because at this point like you know it's just been a it's been a weird time but I am getting back into my work routine I'm feeling super inspired I'm working on some new projects I just I don't know I'm feeling so good about everything and I don't want to credit my amazing office that I designed but like maybe that does have something to do with it okay anyways really excited for everything to come but i'm so excited for today's episode guys we have renee carlino on she is one of my favorite authors ever every single day i go on instagram and i look at my tagged mentions and you guys are reading before we were strangers which is her book and it is one of my like top reads of 2020, which is saying something because I've read 46 books so far in 2020. She also wrote Wish You Were Here. I feel like that was a tongue twister, um, but they just finished the feature length screenplay. So that's really excited. You might see that on a big screen soon. Anyways, I'm just so intrigued by the writing process as such an avid reader. I had so many questions about the writing world, how she does it. Just to me, writing an entire novel sounds so dark and overwhelming so I just had so many questions I love hearing from people who do something that is totally different than me I've never had an author on which I was really excited for I just love hearing about their lives and just kind of what their work life looks like as well as routines and I don't know I just thought it was so interesting if you guys are ever looking for book recs or anything, I have a highlight on my Instagram called Reads where I'm just sharing every single book that I've read. If you guys are into romance, though, Before We Were Strangers is like my all time favorite romance book novel ever, guys. Like I would give anything for that to turn into a movie, but also I it has to be perfect and I don't want it to be ruined. Um, I really hold this book like very close to my heart. I read it in one night, guys. I ordered it on, I think at this point I was still an iPad reader. I've since transitioned into the Kindle life. 
But it was just such an incredible book. It's such, oh my God, like cannot say enough good things about it. Just a little housekeeping before we get into this episode. As always, we have a newsletter. The newsletter is so fun and I work so hard on it. I have a link in the show notes where you guys can just add your email in and then you guys will get a weekly email from me with my favorite reads, listens, follows, what I've been learning. Just there's so many things in that. I have direct links to all my favorite products and yeah, it's super fun over there. It's just like a quick read. I also have a YouTube channel where I've been posting so many videos. So if you guys are into that sort of thing at youtube.com slash Kenzie Elizabeth, my Instagram, we have an Instagram for the podcast, which has been really fun lately. And yeah, that's pretty much it. But I would definitely recommend joining the newsletter. It's been super fun. If you guys are coming from this podcast to the I Love You So Much Instagram, comment, hey, what's up, hello, and then I can stalk some of you guys. So this this podcast episode is a little bit longer. I love this. I thought it was just so valuable. So without further ado, let's get started. Hi, how are you? Good. Hi. I am so excited to have you on. You are actually my first author on the podcast, which is very exciting for me because it's literally all I do is read at this point. Oh, cool. I hope I don't bore anyone to death. Oh my gosh, no. I'll try not to. I've only actually done a couple of podcasts before. I've done a lot of interviews, but usually have submit some sort of writing, some sort of writing piece. So I'm not I'm not super used to talking, but I can I can definitely talk. Believe me, ask my friend. I'm happy to do this and I'm happy to talk about the books and glad that you read Before We Were Strangers. I read Before We Were Strangers probably a month or two ago in like one sitting. Like I literally, I just stayed up all night and then I've read like, I love Wish You Were Here and Spore on the Life as well. I read Spore on the Life like, I think like two books ago, like last week. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big fan, um, read a lot, big fan. I was also telling her before we started recording that as you guys know, on the podcast, we have a Facebook group. It's it's basically like a cult at this point. <laughs> like everyone has just become best friends and everyone is like collectively so obsessed with Before We Were Strangers. I told them that we were recording and like the last time I got this amount of like super excited feedback was on like a bachelor person of <laughs> like some guy they all thought was hot and they were like, oh my gosh, I am so excited. So we're going to talk a lot just about like your writing journey, process, routines. Like I'm really interested in all of it. I think that writing a book sounds so overwhelming. So I have a lot of questions, but before we get into that, I want to do hot seat. First question, best purchase that you've made under $100 in the past six months. So, okay. I have two and they are totally related to writing. I've been writing a lot. I actually had two due dates since I've been in quarantine. So I bought, this is going to sound silly since I live in Southern California. So the two purchases that uh, I've made that are under $100 lately that I really love and keep sharing with people and they might seem sort of silly, but it's those things that I always saw existed and didn't really realize that I would that I would appreciate them so much. One is a heating blanket, which it's not even that cold here, but it's just really cozy and I love it being in my writing chair and having my little heating blanket. And then the other is a coffee cup warmer, which my writing room is upstairs and every time I get a cup of coffee, I get about three sips into it. And by the time I take the next sip, it's cold. So I have my little coffee cup warmer and my coffee lasts a long time now. So those seem silly, but they're great for when you're held up in the writing cave and just writing away. So yep, those are my two most recent purchases, both Amazon too. So it was easy. 
I love that. I really need a coffee cup warmer as well. I drink super slow, Mm -hmm. especially when I'm in my office. So I end up making coffee. I take two sips of it and then it's bad by the time I'm like ready to drink it. So I need to actually order that. (laughs) It was a good buy. Number two, who is your favorite author? I get asked this question a lot. Um, Obviously, I don't have a favorite author. I can go back through different phases of my life and books, type styles, genres that I was into. I've read a lot of John Irving in my life, and maybe I would say that's probably one of one of my favorite authors as far as just sort of literary fiction. Um, I like David Sedaris a lot. I uh, but I read everything, and I and and within my the genre that I that I write in, um, I have a ton of favorites, and I I really couldn't narrow it down to one. I started reading uh, one of the book graves and she wrote a book called On the Island and that helped put my feet to the fire stream to get my books published and trying to make a career out of writing because her her story, her personal story was inspiring to me that she had self-published and kind of done it on her own. So that would be one person and I just really love her writing style. But other than that, there's the list goes on and on and on. Do you feel like you read more often because you're an author or do you feel like you read a lot less like I can only imagine I feel like it has to be one of the two like there's not really like a middle for me personally I feel like there would be like a middle ground just like anybody else there there are times in our life when we really get into reading or watching tv or running or whatever it is and um for for me though I've always loved reading and I and I love reading any type of prose. It's not just novels or, or fiction. I like reading, period. But when I am writing a lot and when I have a deadline or it's like an intense phase of the writing process, I usually don't read that much. And it's because writing actually requires you to read a lot. So in a day of, say, five hours that I'm sitting at a desk writing, I'm reading. I'm going back and forth the whole time. So my eyes just get really tired and it's kind of nice to either just listen to some music later after I'm done or go for a walk or or even watch TV or see a good movie. So yeah, those times in my life, I don't read as much. So a lot of times when I'm in an interview and people ask me, what are you reading right now? What are you so jazzed on? I'm like, I haven't read anything and it's embarrassing, but I've been only been reading my own book. No, that makes total sense. I feel like if I was writing, especially with deadlines or as much as you were writing, I don't feel like I could really read. And I don't, I also can't read like two books at once or I don't know. I've never really tried it. I'm more of a like one book in a day kind of girl. Right. So I feel like if I'm writing and reading at the same time, I don't know, it would just be a lot for me. Last question. Um, do you have any morning rituals? So morning rituals, I am pretty boring. I do probably what most people do who have kids. I get up and get them off to school or get them going with now since we've been in quarantine, um, get them going on some sort of task. And then uh, I usually just come up to my office and go through my emails, have my cup of coffee and then start writing. And I usually write in the morning, early in the morning, by noon, I'm pretty brain dead, essentially. So yeah, I don't, I don't write like all day or at night ever. I don't think I ever really have I, in all the years that I've been writing, um, maybe a couple of times if I was on a deadline, but mostly it's in the morning. So the early hours of the morning. Do you think that has to do with, I know you were a teacher before this. Do you think that has to do with like your work hours were kind of morning to afternoon? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's my personality too. I think I'm like a morning person 
And there are times when all throughout my life about the creative process and being late at night, you know, and having that little shot of whiskey or something. And that's definitely not my style. But I can see where being tired can kind of push you over an emotional boundary. Like, and there are times when I'll get up really early in the morning, like four in the morning, and it's still dark out. And everyone in the house is asleep. And there's this sort of eerie quality in the, in the air. And I'll go to the computer and start writing. And I'll feel that, that creative, those creative juices start to flow. And I'll get really emotional inside. And it's, it's cathartic. And it feels good. And I like it. Um, but yeah, it's usually early, early in the morning, not like late, late at night. So I usually get my my hours of sleep in and then get up and go right to the computer. And, and probably because it is part of, it is just the way that I operate. I'm just more of a morning person. If I'm trying to do something at night, it's just not happening. Like I, I feel like I can wake up early and then just kind of push through and power through so much more. Yeah. And at night I'm like, I actually just need to sleep. It's just not happening. Um, I'm so interested in just kind of the writing process and journey. Can you speak on just, I know you were a teacher before, mm-hmm. um, your time as a teacher to becoming like a published author. Before I was a teacher though, I went to film school and I had a stint in the film business. My husband worked in the film business and um, we were always talking about stories and trying to get stories made into films. And I was writing a lot then, but I hadn't written a novel yet at that point in my 20s mainly short stories and scripts, um, screenplays, treatments, synopses, things like that. And honestly, when we were talking earlier and you said it sounds overwhelming to write a novel, I would have never guessed in a million years that I could even write a novel. It sounded really daunting to me too. And it, it happened organically. So I didn't sit down and say to myself, I'm going to write an, I'm going to write a novel right now and I'm going to be done in six months. It wasn't like that at all. What happened was I went to school to become a teacher after my kind of short career in the film business and decided I wanted to have a family. I became a teacher and taught for a while and I was teaching English and talking to the kids about plot and story elements and got really excited because that's around the age when I noticed kids were starting to gravitate towards a certain genre or they were really interested in plot and character. And, and it was something that they could grasp versus when I'd been teaching, like I taught for a while in the younger grades and it wasn't quite there yet. So I was excited to see kids excited about reading a novel. And then when I quit teaching to have my kids, I was at home with them and there was a lot of downtime. They were both close in age and they had, you know, two hour naps in the middle of the day. And I would go into my little office and I would kind of tinker around with writing and revisit old things that I had written. And then I started writing Sweet Thing, which was my first novel. And that was more of like a hobby. I wasn't thinking that there would be an end date or a finished product, but I liked the feeling that I got after I accomplished, say, 10 pages or 20 pages. I would walk out of the office and go, oh, that was that felt good. That was exciting. you know. And then I would reread it and go like, oh, it's, this is kind of lame, but <laughs> I'm just going to keep doing it because I'm having fun. And I'm kind of lonely. I have these two little tiny babies. And, um, and so by the time I finished, finished it, I thought, oh my God, I have 350 pages or whatever. And I have a novel and I have a beginning, a middle and an end. And I have to do something with it. You know, I couldn't just leave it to forever be entombed on my computer. So I texted my friend and I said, Hey, I, I wrote a book and she was like, what? Send it to me. I want to read it. She reads everything. At the time she was a lawyer and I, but she had been a lit major and she's just a voracious reader. So I, I sent it to her and she called me in two days and she said, you have to do something with this. 
you cannot like, you cannot just forget about it on your computer. You have to do something with this. She's like, I loved it. I loved the characters. It was exciting. It was, it was scintillating. It was sexy. It was all of these things that will, will keep me, my head in a book. She said, essentially, she's like, at no point did I ever want to stop reading it. And it was a complete first draft. So it was, you know, it wasn't great. It was, it had a lot of problems and she said, I would just workshop it. She's like, it's better than a lot of things that I read that are completely published. You know, that's how that happened. So yeah, once I finished the first one, I knew I could do more, you know? Wow. How did you end up getting that one published? Like, what is that process? So I was really lucky because I don't think that this, I don't think this is a fair story to, um, to tell, but what happened was I self-published it first. And like I said, I, I gave it, you know, a solid college try, did my research before I self-published it. I researched all about the genre. I researched all about self-publishing. I reached out to authors who had self-published and who could give me any little hacks, you know, any, any information or even just ask them, Hey, would you mind trying to get a read on this? I would be happy to, to plug your book. Your book is one of my, it was, you know, it was authors that I liked or I, I enjoyed. And Tracy Jarvis Graves was one of the, was one of the authors who responded to me. And she said, look, here are the things that I wouldn't do. And here are the things that I, that I did that I felt really helped sort of catapult my book into, into people's hands, so to speak, I guess. And I did follow guideline that she sent me. I kind of followed it to a T and, and added a few things of my own. And shortly after I published the book, I was getting calls from agents and stuff and publishers. And, and shortly after I put it up on Amazon and it was getting, it was building momentum because I had sent it to a lot of bloggers and I had sent it, I literally sent it to everybody I could think of for free and just said, if you have time, I would love it. If you could read it, even if, if you hate it, I'm sorry, if you love it, please, please let me know, you know, so I can, I can share. And, um, you know, just kind of like very humbly, just like asking, like, this is the only way I know how to do this from the time that I finished it until the time that I self-published it was like a solid eight months. And I did take it to a workshop. I workshopped it with other writers. So I didn't just kind of write it and throw it out there based on the feedback from my one best friend, you know, like I took it out into the world and I, I was also an English teacher, took it out into the world. I bounced it off a lot of different people. I polished it. I hired a developmental editor on it. I hired a copy editor. I hired a proofreader. I paid out of, you know, my, out of my savings to have this stuff done so that I wasn't putting out this just sort of crap thing that I wrote on my computer one, one summer, you know? And so I, I did, I did all of that work and I contacted people before I self-published it and I made sure that I had a, a decent product. And I was really excited because I, I did get a lot of good feedback. I also, in that time, I did query some agents and I did send, I did send my book to some publishers and with an absolutely zero response. From what I know now, I mean, back in that time, that was like, you literally, not that this was so long ago, but the standard was still put it into an envelope and mail it, you know? So you, I was putting an entire, yeah. I was putting an entire manuscript into these envelopes and mailing it. I was like, don't, don't query more than three agents at a time because the word will get around and this and that. And the reality was that agents, you know, they're getting a ton of manuscripts a day. So you're lucky if you, if it, they happen to look at one page of it and go, Ooh, I might read this since then, in my experience, what I've heard is that agents find stories a lot of times by word of mouth, by 
by referrals from other authors or what, oh, you know, this is an aspiring author and I read part of her book and you need to read it because there's just too many to go through. That sounds very, I don't want to sound so negative, but um, about the process because it's possible. And like I said, but I did have to put a lot of work into it on my own and put it out there myself and try to get reviews on it and try to get people talking about it before I got any attention from any agents or publishers. I think that really makes sense as far as it's word of mouth from other authors rather than obviously I can only imagine how many books and manuscripts like they're receiving a day. So do you think that spending the time kind of building relationships with other authors and having them read your work was more worthwhile than just sending out your book to agents and publishers? Absolutely. I don't know how to quantify it exactly, but I do know that one of the first little bits of advice I got was from a, a writing professor who who I actually grew up with, a childhood friend. I said, what should I do? Okay, I'm done. What's the first step? Before I'd even contacted any authors, and he said, find a community of other writers. Like, Find people who are just talking about this and who are trying to break the system too and figure it out. You know what I mean? So that they can put their work out into the world. Like, Just find people who are like-minded people and and get with them and say, how do we do this? Because it's so it's going to evolve, you know, and I could tell you everything that I did 10 years ago or seven years ago or whatever, but it's probably a world of difference now. I mean, there's, it's probably a completely different process now, you know, than it was then. So just staying current and having a community of other writers, if that's your goal is to write and also writers within the genre that you're writing. I mean, I don't go around hanging out with historical nonfiction writer. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't go around hanging yeah. out with historians. Like that's not, it wouldn't behoove anybody to do that, but I do think that's key. So yeah, getting that going. And, and also one thing that I've heard and also sort of shared with other people is that never feel that you need to be competitive with other authors or writers because somebody told me this a long time ago and it just stuck with me. They said, readers read so much faster than writers can write. So we need each other to all keep people reading. Like, because you're going to want to be on to the next. Once you finish my book, you're going to want to be on to the next. And you're going to have to be reading her book while I'm writing the next one. So that when you're done with hers, you can come back and read mine. So it's just this kind of sense that we need, we need, you know, we need everybody to be writing. We need to be encouraging each other. And that's why you hear a lot about like those nano groups where I don't know if you've heard about that, but sort of encourages people to get to, you know, to sit their butt in the chair and write by sort of patting each other's backs and saying, good job, you, you know, you did 2000 words today or whatever. So just to keep people going and feeling inspired. I love that. I think for any area of life, not viewing others as competition. And I actually would totally agree with that because I think about it. Even I filmed, because now I'm becoming, you know, a book influencer. I filmed an <laughs> IGTV video yesterday where I was sharing my favorite reads. And it's like, I was going between like you and Colleen. And it's kind of like a, a large circle of authors mm. that write in kind of similar genres right. and if typically it's like oh if you like her you'll love her and that's so true because I literally read like three to four books a week I'm really curious about the author world and like the social scene of it like are there like conventions and things where you guys meet do you follow like on Instagram oh that's another thing I was gonna say is even because I follow like everyone on Instagram it's like so and so follows so and so and then from books you guys recommend I'll read others and like yeah that's actually really great but um, anyway, sorry, back to the author world. I'm very curious as to what the social scene is. Like, are people clicky? Are people just more down to like celebrate each other and hang out? Um, like, what is that like? For one, there are lots of conventions and they're, and they're 
some of those conventions, those multi-author conventions, or not like retreats, but uh, book fairs or whatever you want to call it, there's so many authors that the readers and the number of readers almost are equal to the number of authors there. Even even just small book events, like with one or two other authors, I feel like there is a good, there is a strong sense of camaraderie. I, I haven't felt that there's any sort of intense clickiness necessarily. I think we all have a common goal. Um, and, and honestly, especially in the romance world and everybody's kind of all about love, it's pretty friendly and it, and it's pretty fun and it's pretty nice. And, and a lot of them are, are, I've, I've made great friends over the years at these conventions, um, and been able to bounce ideas off. And that's the thing is that when you, when you have this sort of solitary job where you're in a room by yourself outside of the internet, that's really the only time where you can say, Hey, what'd you think about this? And how did you do this? And, you know, what, you know, give me your honest feedback and outside of putting it up on the internet for everyone to see or having sort of an email relationship, it's just a really great place for people to get together and share their ideas. There's a lot of charity involved there and there's ways where we can make it worthwhile in the deeper sense, you know? I haven't experienced any crazy form of like clickiness because first of all, writers are from all over that come to those. So it's not like my perception is not that six people go back to the same city and all get to hang out together, you know, every other day and then meet up at these conventions and form these insane cliques. Most of people are sort of on their own and come to them or have one other friend or one really close writing friend or whatever. And, um, and they hang out, but, but yeah, it's all pretty fun to be honest with you. And, and I, I love it. I miss it because of this whole quarantine thing that used to be an option every other month to be able to to go to one of these book conventions and either sign books there or just attend as a reader you know for sure I'm really curious are you an introvert or an extrovert I don't know I mean like I think that there's probably some label for me and directly under that label it says like number one does not like labels because I, yes. because <laughs> I'm always, to me, like if I read, I can read every single horoscope and be like, that's my horoscope. That's my horoscope. Depending on what my mood is, like depending on whether I'm hungry or tired or just anything. So as far as being an introvert, this is what I know at my 42 years of age. I know that I really like being around people and I have a lot of fun around people, but I also really like being alone too. And, and if I have long periods of time where I'm not alone, I start to crave being really alone, like no phone, you know, and that's hard as a mom because you got to be in touch when you, when you got kids. But then there are times when like, I'm, I haven't seen any friends and I haven't done anything outside of the house. And that's when I really, I really yearn for those like girls nights out, I guess, sort of thing or just even like dinner with a friend. I relate besides the kids thing. I am, could basically talk to a wall. Like I love people. I love going out. But I think actually just in the past few months with quarantine, I've become even more of an introvert. And I'm like, I love just being at home. I love having my four or five hours a night to read by myself. Like I don't want anyone messing up my plans. I have my routine that I have, that it's like set for me. Absolutely. Um, but then on the other hand, yeah, on the other hand, I can be like, oh my gosh, I need to go see 15 friends. We need to do this. I have these plans. Like, I don't know. I feel like I can't even answer which one I am, but it's just interesting to me because it's a job that is so isolating. And I also, I work from home and I work for myself. So most of my time is spent alone. 
I'm just really curious to the actual process, like take us through, I love details. So like you like to write in the morning, like take us through, what is your writing room? Like what coffee do you drink? Like, I want to get as detailed as possible. When I start writing a book, I usually start formulating it in my head and I don't outline it in any way. Like a lot of writers do. This is, this varies from person to person and literally probably on a scale too. I, I will sometimes jot things down on like a scrap piece of paper because I'll think, oh, that's a good idea. I really want this to, to go in this direction. But I usually start with an idea. And sometimes that idea is just a scene. And I'll really like that scene. And it's a fantasy. Like it's like walking into a cafe and turning around and there's the, you know, there's, there's a guy just watching you and he's everything you've ever imagined physically. And then he says something brilliant and you're like, okay, done. Whatever it is, however it starts, it usually starts with something very small like that. And there are a bunch of details around it, like the color of things and where it takes place and how old the characters are and what they're wearing and what music is playing in the background. And then it'll, I'll start growing it from there in my head. And then when I have some sense of a plot that has sort of a concept, like a, a theme or a higher concept or an element, like in Before We Were Strangers, it was definitely the misconnection. So with that particular book, and every book has been different for me, with that book, I actually read a misconnection article that was similar to the one that I wrote for the book, where it was a plea from like a man to a woman about they had known each other years before. He was just literally reaching out to her and said, I don't know where you are. It's been many years. I don't know where you are, but do you remember me? This is what we did many years ago. And if you, if you are single and you want to say hello and get a coffee, you know, get in touch with me. And I was like, oh, this is so touching. And then that's when, that's when the story of Matt and Grace started in my mind. And all, all of the pieces of Matt and Grace are kind of sort of like amalgamations. They're definitely me. Like the cello, I always wanted to play the cello. I thought that was such a beautiful, but also such a deep and like profound instrument versus a violin. Not that one is better than the other. They're both, they both have different, you know, value, I guess, in, in a sense. But to me, there's something very dark about the cello and the, and the sound that it can, can give off. There's something deeper to me about it. And then with the photography, I went all through school thinking that I was going to be a cinematographer, a photographer in some way, and then ended up doing something completely different. So yeah, so that was also there. And that's how that story started. I just started putting it together in my mind. And I knew that I was going to start in the present with that. And I knew that I was going to start from Matt's point of view, because I wanted to show how deep this man was, and how he could have had everything tangible as far as material things in his life. He had great success. He'd won a Pulitzer. He had gone all over the world. He had traveled. He had seen everything. He had this great job. They would have given him anything at National Geographic. They would have said, You're, you know, you can, you can just sit at a desk and still get all these accolades. And he literally still felt there was a void, you know, and felt there was something missing. How sad, but also romantic to, to know that you're that person that would fill that void for him, you know? So I don't know, I just was thinking of it in those terms and then I started writing it and I, and I usually write in the order of the book, even if it's not chronological. So that, wasn't, that book wasn't chronological, but I did write that in order. I wrote it from the very first page to the last page, you know, with a, maybe a little bit of 
tweaking and editorial as far as timeline or whatever, but not much. It was probably written pretty close to that. What I love the most about the story of Matt and Grace is the fact that well, yes, maybe like a misconnection thing isn't like the most maybe realistic. I think the idea of it and the idea of like they were so close to having everything and it was literally just like miscommunication. Um, if you guys read the book, you know what I'm talking about. But I actually feel like it's a very realistic story in that sense. And I think like I love that. Like I recently read Normal People and there's so much like, you know, not I don't want to say controversy, but like differing opinions on the ending and at first I was like oh my gosh I'm so mad like whatever and then I was like you know what this is actually just normal people it's a totally different book but it's like this is actually like just super realistic and real and I'm like I I love that because it's not it's just not like your typical amazing love story that like everything worked out for them and I think a lot of people can relate to that it's just such a good book I'm curious at what point do you typically know the the kind of ending like do you ever go into a book knowing how it's going to end or do you kind of just play around with it yeah I usually know the ending actually with sweet thing I didn't know the first book that I wrote I didn't really know the ending because that was much more of a like I said it was much more of a where are we gonna go and what are we gonna do with this and what is this you know because I didn't even know it was a book when I first started writing it it could have very well been like a five-page story as far as all the other books I usually know the ending since sweet thing I've sold every book before I've written it so I usually have to I usually have to write out like the synopsis to submit to the publisher before I even sell it. So in that sense, no. I mean, things can always change. With Before We Were Strangers, it's hard for me to remember every single every single step in, in the process of each book because like I said, it's pretty different. Like when people ask, how long does it take you to write a book? I've written 12 books and each one has taken a different amount of time. Like there, there are some that took six weeks and then there are some that took a year. Like it's just so different. There are all kinds of factors, you know, whatever else is going on in my life. And sometimes I'll have other things that I'm writing at the same time, which is difficult speaking to what you brought up earlier about how it would be hard to switch gears from like whatever you're reading to something else. And it, it, that is difficult for me, but I have done it. And so sometimes it'll take me a little bit longer, but as far as the ending, I usually know like the major plot points. I usually know, you know, the, what the big conflict is and how it will be resolved. So yes, I, I kind of do know that. When you're sending in a book, like when you're selling a book before you're writing it, I, I'm so curious as to that process. Can you speak on the major differences between self-publishing and then like the, the alternative? Every first novel, it has to be completed. So, you know, you would be submitting a full manuscript, probably also submit some sort of synopsis to the publisher. The process for me, when I'm in talks with somebody, I usually write about 30 pages of the, of the book. Um, and then I'll write like a pretty detailed synopsis that'll go point by point. I have been asked in the past to, to write like an outline, like a scene outline, like what's going to actually I think the book I just finished, I had to write an outline for. So yeah, it just depends on what, what the publisher is looking for, what that particular agent is looking for, or what they see is happening in the market, like what other publishers are looking for. And so not that I always write to that, but everybody wants something different. Some people will want a full novel, even, even since I've been writing, um, and had books published, I've had a couple publishers say, well, we want the full manuscript before we'll even look at it. Um, and then I've had other people say, well, 30 pages is enough. We know you're capable of writing a novel. 30 pages is enough. Give us all that. Give us the high concept and give us all the plot points and, and, you know, write a, 
detailed synopsis or whatever it is. So I think it just depends on where you're going with it. And that process is so person to person, like it could be different from, you know, from one person to the next, just depending on what your history is. As far as at the beginning of their career, yes, you've got to write the whole manuscript and as much as you can write about it, a synopsis, an outline, anything else that you can add to it that will really that will really make people want to read the whole thing all the way through. Is self-publishing like as big of a nightmare as people make it out to be? I think when I self-published, it wasn't. Well, actually, that's not, that wouldn't be fair to say that. It was a lot of work. I will say that. It was a lot of work. You're the only one responsible for this piece of, of work, right? So you, you've written you've written it, you have to be very, you have to try and be as objective as you can about your own work, which is very hard because it's personal, you know? And so you have to be, what, what do people really want to read? And even though I want to talk for hours and hours and hours about my dog in chapter five, because he's just so cute. Um, I know people don't want to, <laughs> I know people don't want to read about it. You know what I mean? So in a sense, so it's just like going back to some literary, like some tools, which is like, know your audience. Know if you really want to sell a book and you're not just writing it for your own like joy, then, then you need to think about who you're trying to sell it to. Who do you want? Who are you hoping will read it? You know what I mean? And, and you have to think about audience a little bit. I say from the beginning, write for yourself. And if you want to sell it, consider your audience. You know what I mean? I think those are good rules because I think writing for yourself is really, you're really going to write what you want to read and you're a reader, you know, and that, so if you think about it that way, it's hard not to have that subjective piece in there because in that bias, because it's your own it's your own story. Maybe even if it's not true, it's, it's parts of your own story, you know, and it's pieces from your own life and whatever that you thought were particularly funny or particularly interesting or whatever. That said, self-publishing, so you, you have to try and be objective about your own work and you have to be open to criticism. And sometimes it's not always helpful criticism. People aren't always giving you positive or, or constructive criticism, I should say. Sometimes people are just flat out awful you know, and they just don't know how to talk yeah. to, and they just don't know how to talk to other people. And, and those cases, you just have to take it with a grain of salt and you have to look to the people who really want to help you and who are willing to say, Hey, you know what? You have something really great here, but I know where, I know where you could elevate it. And I think it's in here. And I bet you, if you put a little more time in here, you could do it. And then you have to be open to that and say, let me explore that. They, they're not right necessarily, but they have an opinion you know, and let me explore that opinion. So it's, I, it's hard. So, and then once you get to that point and you feel like you have something that you really want to put out into the world, then comes all the next steps. And I think in that piece of, in that part that I'm talking about, I think that's when, you know, I hired the developmental editor and I said, okay, I need to have a non-biased like opinion about this. I need to have like somebody who I'm not connected to really look at it and say, okay, this is what I think you should do. After you get to that point where you think that you have a, a good manuscript, then you get into how am I going to sell it and what kind of cover do I want to put on it and how much money am I going to spend trying to, trying to produce this product to, to something that somebody's want to, going to want to go on Amazon or go into Barnes and Noble and spend $20 on or $15 on or whatever. I think that's a process. And then the, the logistical sort of the ins and outs of actually putting it on Amazon is pretty easy. At the time that I did it, even there was like a step-by-step -step guide to how to do it. And within like a couple of days, my book was on Amazon. It was selling, you know, so as far as self-publishing that way, and then you can find other sales channels through, through that, like Amazon used to have a thing called CreateSpace. I don't think they have it anymore, but where you could actually produce the paperback on there. 
and then find sales channels for it. And obviously Amazon is not the only thing there is in the world, but it's definitely one thing that as far as books go, probably would want to have on is Amazon, your book on Amazon, you know, this process can be daunting, but it's, but you know, at that point, at that stage of, in the game, you don't really have any other, it's not like, Oh, I don't, I don't want to waste my, I don't want to waste the next two months self publishing because I'm worried that I have all these other people wanting to publish that just wouldn't, that wouldn't be in the same storyline, so to speak. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, so I feel like, Mm -hmm. I feel like in the meantime, you can work on self-publishing your book until maybe you do get a bite from a publisher or, or an agent or something. If that's the, if that's what a person is interested in doing. Um, but some people choose to self-publish it. There's great power in that. You get to choose you get to choose your cover. You get to choose, you know, you get the joy of searching for those things and discovering them. So there's two sides to it. I liked both, but self-publishing for me, I would rather concentrate more on the book and the words than all the other business aspects of it, which is involved in self-publishing. That totally makes sense. I can imagine it's almost a little bit liberating to have that much control. You also mentioned something just kind of about dealing with criticism and just like negative feedback. Um, I think that writing is such a, like, it's such a personal thing. Like it's kind of like your baby, right? And it's just, it's like in your head. So how do you deal with people giving negative reviews? And what was that like in the early phases when you were kind of becoming like an established author? Like what, what are things that you did to kind of maybe, you know, block out the haters, if you will? It's very hard to block out the haters completely 100% because from the very beginning, every little bit of advice from other authors was do not read reviews. But it's sort of like saying to that, you know, two-year-old, like, do not taste that cake because it might be poisonous. You know what I mean? But it's so tempting and it's so hard not to because you're really curious what people think about your writing. There were many, 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 many times that I would glance at a review and go, why did I do that? And just feel completely heartbroken. You feel that someone's insulting your intelligence just in general, which is, that's a hard pill to swallow. But, um, but other times just mean and vitriol and it's somebody sitting behind the protection of their computer. And, and we all know what trolls are obviously. And they're able to say these things and somehow that gives them the sense of power. Um, but it's false and it's not real. What I try to do now is reframe it. What I try to do is if I see, especially this is very common in the type of book that I write, I'll see someone really mad at the protagonist to the point where this, the reader hates the book. Like she'll say, for example, with Sweet thing, I got a lot of really negative reviews about Mia. Mia is just such an idiot. Why would anyone write a character like this? Doesn't she see how great Will is? This book is so stupid because Mia is so stupid. And what I realized early on was this person is so passionate about this book that they believe Mia is a real person. And that is speaking to the book and gave that person the ability to suspend their reality enough to believe that the characters I wrote are actual real people. Oh, for sure. I think it speaks to your ability as a writer to have someone that drawn in, you know? Yeah. So I had to really like change it because I'm not kidding. Some some of the reviews, I mean, and I'm, I don't really recommend anyone go run out there and look at all the one star reviews, but some of them are really, really mean and just flat out like, you know, what is, why is this person spending so much time being mad, you know? And so a lot of the, a lot of the reviews that were over the top passionate, I usually saw 
initial sort of anger that they were actually really mad that the character did something. Like, for example, in Before We Were Strangers, which, trust me, I didn't agree with what they were doing either. But I wouldn't have had a book if everyone was doing everything right. So I was reading in an article that you said it kind of took you a few months after your first book was published to be able to call yourself an author. Do you think that that was kind of on the end of like a confidence thing or... I think sometimes for, I mean, for women specifically, I think it's a lot harder for us to be like, yes, I do this. Or do you like, or do you feel like it was more of, you didn't want to share that part of yourself? Like what was the root behind that? A few different things I could say about this in particular. And I do remember saying that. And I, and I still feel that way to a degree when people ask me what I, what I, what I do or, you know, which isn't a super common thing for someone to say, what do you do for a living? Though it is, but it isn't, you know, I'll offer it and be really embarrassed about what they think about it because I'll say, I'm a writer. Well, you know, I'm a writer. I work from home. I'm a writer. And I'll go, what do you write? And I'll go, well, I write books and they're like anything I've heard of. And then, and then it's sort of like, and then you're sort of defending your success as a writer, which is super strange. So then, then I'll like start saying, oh yeah, I've written this book and this, you know, like, and then it just sounds so silly. I remember in the beginning when people would ask, I was hesitant to say I'm a writer because I wasn't sure if one book that had been published qualified me as a writer. Now I look back and think that's silly. Of course it did. I was a writer before I even had a book published. I was a writer when I, when I was 10 years old and all I wanted to do was write. You know what I mean? And as far as, I don't know that I say I'm an author very often. I probably say I'm a writer if someone asks. But yeah, that is, that is tough because people who are not in the writing world or who are not in the literary world or not avid readers, you have to have a very thick skin and know yourself and be confident. But they'll say, what do you do? And I'll say, I'm a writer. And they'll say, what do you write? And I'll say, I write books. And they'll say, what kind of book? And I'll say, oh, I write romance. And they'll go, <laughs> you know, and they're thinking of some sort of schlocky romance novel that was put out in 1975. And, and you're going, and then you have to defend your writing again. And you feel so awkward about that. And, or you'll get the responses, well, is it a movie yet? Because that somehow qualifies your, your ability as a writer to a lot of people who aren't readers. So is it a movie yet? Well, no, but it's a novel, <laughs> you know? And so I always think, I always think just don't. And I think that I've learned to not feel that I need to say anything about it after so many years of doing it. I'm very proud that I have the ability to write, but I think more than some sort of God-given ability or talent. I just really like doing it enough to to want to do it every day. You know what I mean? Because it's I, like when I see somebody who is great at like knitting, like that's something like I could not do because it's tedious. And then and they'll and they would probably look at me and go, "Well, writing is tedious. How do you write three hundred pages? That's tedious." You know? But it's what I enjoy, and for them, that's what they enjoy, and they have a vision for it. And so if I were knitting a sweater and someone really wanted to wear it, I would be proud in that way too. So I'm really proud that I can write a book and someone wants to read it. You know what I mean? I actually totally understand the, you know, when you have a job that maybe isn't as typical as others, and then the questions after, like if someone asks what I do, it's like, oh, I have a YouTube channel, I have a podcast, just whatever. I never say it, and I, I actually hate it. Not because I don't like what I do, like I, and I'm not proud of it, like I'm very proud of it, but I just don't like the follow-up questions. Like, I totally understand. And then, like, especially in this kind of world, they're like my kind of equivalent, they'd be like, how many followers do you have? Or for some reason, people feel like it's okay to like ask how much money I make, like things like that. I actually, I totally understand that. I also do just think like, for women, it is hard, like, 
even other people I've been around who have actually written books are like, I don't know if I would call myself a writer because I've just put one book out, but you're right. Like you, you are a writer. You, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be qualified by like getting something published. Um, I was creeping on your Instagram. Actually, no, I wasn't even creeping on your Instagram at this point. My friend Margot, who also loves you, sent me this and is like so pumped about it that you just finished the feature length screenplay for Wish You Were Here. I'm so interested. Like, what was that like? Well, like I said, I have a background in film. You know, my husband works in the film business. So it, it wasn't like that unusual for this to be the natural next step for, for some of the work um, that I've done as far as the, the novels that I've written. What happened was that I had this really awesome actress who was actress slash producer who was in love with the book and she really wanted to see it made. And we sat down and had a meeting and we decided to kind of go into a partnership together where I would write the script. And I had written scripts before, so I was super familiar with how to do it. Funny thing is, is I'd only written a script for one of the other books that I've, that I've written. I'd always written original scripts. I'd, and anything I've, I have thought of in the past as far as becoming a movie or trying to sell as a movie or a TV show, I hadn't written as a novel yet. So this was kind of the first time I was writing soon after I had finished the novel, which it didn't, it didn't, it doesn't seem a couple years. It's been a couple years since I finished wish you were here, but, um, but it was still really fresh in my mind. And so it was exciting to write this, the script and to think about film elements, you know, while I was writing, the experience was great. It was, I don't want to say that it was easy for me, but it was, it was definitely went fat quicker than writing a novel. I am still working on it now. I'm actually in the process of sort of revising it and getting it back to her by next week. So kind of goes back and forth for a while and, but I really like it and I'm proud of it. And I hope that I, I do see it come to life on screen someday. You know, I always picture my books as movies while I'm writing. I think that I have, I think that you can tell in the, the style of my writing and how quick it is sometimes too quick. Like that's a lot of my editorial notes will be slow down, flush this out like give, give this story some space to breathe, like, or you rush the ending or you rush this section. And it's usually because I kind of see them as scenes in a, in a film. And so I'll go cut to cut to like in my head while I'm writing the novel, which is kind of silly, Mm -hmm. but, um, but it's, you know, it's because I feel like the pacing like is so important and that's what keeps people reading the book. And that's why these books are kind of like fast reads. So yeah. So wish you were here. I'm really excited about it. I hope that it becomes a film. I love switching it up because I'd been writing books for a long time now and I had just turned in a book. I had just turned in a book called You're Infuriating, I Love You, which was like a sort of love to hate you rom-com novel. And so I was excited because Wish You Were Here is really, for me, it is a girl's journey, but it's also really profound about like sacrifice and and it's sad, you know, and I kind of wanted to get those emotions going again because I just come off of writing this kind of fluffy comedy so it was fun to write the script I cannot wait to read that also I really hope that this hits the big screen I okay this that book it's so good you're right it is a little bit like I don't want to say it heavy and like I mean obviously I think with any book of yours that I write I feel so connected as is and then this one if you've read it you obviously know the story it's just it is it's so much about sacrifice and like this crazy like love that you have for someone I don't know I think it would be incredible also the number one thing people were saying um in regards to this recording in the Facebook group was they're like we want before we were strangers to be a movie 
And it's so funny. I mean, while I also agree with that, it's so funny that you say that and it makes total sense with your film background because I really do feel like it was... Like, while I read the novel, I also felt like it was just a movie in my head way more so than other books that I read, you know? Sometimes my insecurity about being a novelist comes from the fact that there's a sense that I'm always in a hurry. Like when my, like I said, my, a lot of my editorial notes will be from editors will be that it's, that you need to slow down and that you're not giving, you're not build, you know, you're not building the world that readers are used to in, in a book, which is the colors and, and this and that, whatever. I do see the value in that in, in a novel. And so I'll have to go back in sometimes. And, and like I said, flesh it out as far as a movie. So before we were strangers, I'll be honest with you, that, that was one of the easier books for me to write. I was really excited about it. And it's the number one book I would want to be a movie over all other of the books that I've written. It will probably be the next script that I write, honestly, and it'll probably happen in the next year. My husband will probably want to direct that because he's always been like very passionately attached to the idea of that, that story becoming a film. So, and I just, I love New York and I love the subway and like, I just love the idea of that misconnection and all those things happening. And speaking to what you were saying before about it not necessarily being super realistic, I totally thought about that the whole time it was happening. And because a lot of people were like with the technology now and the access that you have to the internet. And I had to solve all those problems as you read. I had to, you know, change your last name and make her kind of hard to find and make all these things happen that were not necessarily super realistic. But you know, someone told me a long time ago that no one really wants, you you want an element of realism when you're reading a book like this. But if it were the story of my life in the last three months since I've been in quarantine, no one would read past the third page because it would literally be the most boring thing ever. So I do think that there has to be these conflicts and sometimes it doesn't feel like the most organic way to present them. But in the case of, of Grace and Matt, I, I knew that if a person was scared enough, like Matt was, or like Grace was, to go out there and say, hey, we really liked each other in college. And at my age at 42, if I were suddenly single for whatever reason, there is no way in hell I would go back and find my college sweetheart, even if I thought we had the most passionate love story in the world, and say, hey, do you happen to be single too? That would be absolutely terrifying. Um, so I do think there is that, that fear that was there and maybe I didn't, I didn't write as well as I, I would have liked to, but they both, they both thought that what they had was really special, but weren't quite sure if the other one felt the same. You know what I mean? I really think this honestly might be number one. It's top three favorite books. It's the one I always recommend to people. It's actually the first romance book that I really that I read in general I didn't even know how much I loved romance and it made me read another 15 of them like it is honestly the most incredible book and I think no I yes every single thing that you said about it I think is true also it it didn't feel unrealistic that he couldn't like find her on social media like I can't even find everyone especially with names changing and kind of where they were at I don't know I love that book last question because I'm just curious to know what book do you get the most feedback on that you've written well like now geez I don't know I feel like they might be all kind of like around the same um but before we were strangers for sure is definitely top two the other one would be sweet thing the first book I wrote so and I don't know if that was because it was the time that it was coming out was self-published romance novels is since you know I've self-published it and then it got and then it got picked up. So it's not 
technically self-published anymore, but, um, that was my, you know, my first and I self-published it and it was, and it was an indie book for a couple of months. So I got a lot of feedback about that. And it also has a lot of music and like pop culture sort of references in it. And I think that might be why. And then same with Before We Were Strangers, a lot of feedback from like, especially the people who know me who are like, Oh my God, I remember we used to listen to that song and we used to do that. And, you know, that kind of looks a sort of nostalgia. I'm really proud of before we were strangers. I also really liked the format and I probably will do that down the road again with another book, sort of write it back and forth from past to present and dueling points of view. Um, even though it was challenging at times, I enjoyed getting both sides of their story that way. I absolutely loved it. I think I've shared probably at least 40 books as I always share the books that I'm reading in 2020. And every single day I have Instagram stories of people tagging me being like, and it's always the same thing that they've said is I read this in a day. I can't stop crying. Like I've never had so many people like reach out in response to a book that I've recommended over before we were strangers. Like every single person that's read it that follows me or I know in real life is just so obsessed with it. I won't keep you any longer. We've actually recorded um, even longer than I thought. You were just such a great guest and you added so much value. Thank you so much for coming thank on. Thank you for having me. Um, where can they find you? Thank you for having me. And thank you so much for everything you said about that. It means so much. And it, it honestly is like why I keep writing is to to get that kind of feedback. It's wonderful to hear. And I hope someday for for that book, especially, I hope that we'll, we'll see it on the big screen because that would be so exciting. I'm everywhere. And so definitely it's Renee Carlino one on Instagram, Renee Carlino author on Facebook and I'm on Twitter too though. I wish that I would tweet more. I just I just don't, but maybe someday I will. And then of course all of, there's an author page on Amazon and oh and my website where you can kind of go to every other channel is, is renecarlino.com. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was really nice and I'm so glad that you liked the book and I love getting that feedback back and I love talking about writing and I hope that it inspires more people to go after after that even if it does sound overwhelming or daunting, it's possible, you know. Thank you so much for coming on. I will have all of your info um, in the show notes below for anyone who's interested, as well as on the I Love You So Much podcast Instagram. I've been posting a lot of book recs and it's pretty much always her books. So I'll have another post as well. But thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. So good talking to you and take care. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you guys did, let me know by posting this to your Instagram story, tagging a friend on the Instagram story, texting your friends on the Instagram story. No, you don't text your friends on the Instagram story. Texting your friends this podcast, telling them to listen. Um, I always have book recs and everything on my Instagram as always. I love you guys so much. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a nice review and rating. I'm literally afraid of my review section, um, but you know, it's fine. Love you guys so much and I'll see you next week.